Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here with the first show of the season. We've had a lot of shows this offseason, a lot of content produced. We had our current guest on a number of times this offseason, all great shows, love to talk to him. Gabe Ferguson, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken, and I'm excited to be here after we have some real, actual Ravens football. Excited to talk about this first game, so thank you for having me. And isn't this fun? We have football again, and this is the first show of the year that is a game review. These have always been kind of the number one shows to me in terms of fun, in terms of certainly in terms of the effort uh, put into producing these shows and and uh, and accumulating the information for it. I know that's true for you too, Gabe, in terms of what you put together and uh, you and uh, Jordan yep. do the Situation Room on this channel. Uh, you want to talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, what sure. Um, uh, we have our podcast the raven situation room um we actually um, recorded one last night right after the first preseason game i think it is up on the website now at filmstudybaltimore.com so you can go uh, take a listen um we pretty much just talked about you know overall takes from the game some interesting players that stood out for good and bad and then just some of the roster stuff roster breakdown like who's on the bubble who's making you know a push and it's going to be a squeeze what we decided it looks like there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be 
looking to make it on the roster and there just aren't spots for them. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that breaks down. I'd be interested to know if you and Jordan really talked about this being a 56 or 57 man roster and not a 53 as part of that discussion. But we can talk about that another time. Yeah, we can do that sometime later. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Uh, This is a game that uh, that obviously the Ravens came into with the the big winning streak. I don't know that that was really the big story of this game, but it was a story of this game. Uh, They continued the streak. I actually think there was a key platoon that they ran in order to make that happen. It actually ended up being the most impactful defensive player on the entire field. Geno Stone waited to enter the game into the second half. And the only reason I can think for it, the Ravens short on safeties in this game, although they're very deep at safety. Uh, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark uh, did not play. Uh, Hamilton did. Uh, the Ravens will really only have five on the roster. Stone played and certainly was outstanding. Tony Jefferson played on the back end for the first time in a long time uh, that he's actually played strong safety. I guess it would have been 2019 might have been the last time he played strong safety. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting position because, like you said, they have a lot of quality depth at the position. I think when we're talking about regular season, it might be the deepest position on the entire team. Mm-hmm. But for the preseason, you know, you're not putting your starters out there and you don't want to have your, your important, you know, first round draft pick, Kyle Hamilton, out there for the entire length of the game Tony Jefferson's a veteran so actually leaves you a little bit thin on the back end when you're looking at the second half unless you're bringing in some guys who aren't very experienced at the position and kind of just mixing and matching with your defensive backs yeah and and, uh, most teams they would do that and they would what they would have done in this game having Geno Stone and Hamilton they would have let Stone play free safety in the first half Hamilton roam the field and and do the things we expect Hamilton to do during the regular season and that pairing would have been there once But instead, they said, okay, we want to have one good free safety on the field in both halves. And so they they put Hamilton on in the first half. They put Stone on in the second half. They paired him with Jefferson in the first half. And Jefferson did not play terribly, but paired um, Stone uh, with the most versatile player on the defense in this game. Uh, It was Pepe Williams, who played slot corner, outside corner. In the second half, he played safety. Yeah, that was an interesting um, role, I think, for Williams. I, I wasn't really expecting to see him playing safety that much. You know, I know that they he's talked about you know, being in all the positions in the secondary and, and kind of in the training camp and things. Um, but it looks like, you know, he's being seen as, as a vers- versatile kind of, um, you know, jack of all trades. Uh, you know, s- someone similar to maybe your Brandon Stevens, who probably would have seen some, some time in this game had he been healthy. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, similar skill sets or at least potentially how, how the Ravens are seeing them and how they're going to be used this season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe a little overlapping anyway, but, uh, but Stevens would have been a guy I'm sure that could have played all the positions. And I thought the same thing about Pepe is, you know, he's playing all the positions that, that Brandon Stevens might. Ardarius yeah. Washington also a kind of a versatile player that was not active for this game. So, uh, they, you know, they've had, uh, they, they dealt with what they had. But when I saw this, when I see them, use this deployment that defers one of the really good players into the second half. My, my immediate thought is, I'm thinking back to Earl Weaver setting lineup cards in the 1970s and the way he would always manipulate huge advantages by using platoons in double headers. And the, the, the usual baseball theory was you put all your starters in in the first game and the second half you rested a bunch of, second game you rested a bunch of your starters. Still a few key players would always play both games, but you'd rest a lot of starters uh, in the second game and, and, and clear out your bench. 
and and uh, and getting getting people in there. Well, Weaver didn't really believe in that. He believed in the full, you know, getting value out of the full twenty-five. So you had guys on the bench who could help him in a platoon role, and especially if you started a left-hander and a right-hander in a doubleheader against Earl Weaver, it was it was not a good move to do because he had platoon advantages he could pull either way. Yeah, yeah, maybe we're seeing you know some gamesmanship from Harbaugh. I, I think that that twenty twenty-one game winning streak, you know, it, it matters. I think to them in, inside that clubhouse, mm-hmm. it's something that they take pride in. Um, you know, it speaks to the the roster building construction that they have, the depth of talent that they've built year over year over year. Um, and, and that's really what's winning these games for them, is especially defensive talent. Um, you, they have guys who are probably going to be playing on other teams, um, and we see that every year. There's a lot of talent um, on this defensive side of the ball, and it, and it definitely shows up on, on the football field. Yeah, def- defensive depth and their ability to dominate the second half of preseason game has driven a lot of their success in the streak. And it's it's something that I actually was a little bit concerned about. You know, looking at this, the outside linebacker position in particular, extremely thin. The cornerback position, they're playing without six of their se- top seven guys. Pepe Williams is the only guy in their top seven who's in there. The guys who played, you know, Worley and, and Vereen and, and um, uh, Seymour, you know, they're probably not going to make the team. They're, they're, you know, fringe roster guys at best. They're probably practice squad guys who get a call up at some time during the year at best again. Um, you know, they're without, you know, Fuller and Humphrey and Peters and um, uh, Jalen Armour Davis did not play, which was kind of a little bit of a surprise. So they're missing their best guys at, at, uh, at corner. They also at outside linebacker were playing their number five through number eight outside linebackers. So, you know, they, they, they don't have any of the top four, obviously, with Bowser, Ajabo, Houston sitting out. And Oway did play, but he only played one snap. So the rest of the guys they're playing are, are you know, they're the, the number five through number eight guys. And uh, it's, it's amazing that their, their remaining group is that good. Uh, it's it's really tough to be that shorthanded even for a preseason game. Yeah, and I mean we do have to remember that they're also going up against mostly number twos on the other side of the ball too. So it's not like the Titans are playing a number of starters, maybe a couple similar to how uh, the Ravens were handling it. So it's 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 a little bit of you know our twos versus your twos, but the, the Ravens twos were clearly better, um, and and that, that was pretty much seen throughout the course of the game from the, from the get go through the end of the fourth quarter. I think, and as we talked about, it becomes more and more apparent over the course of the game as, as the Titans brought in some of their, you know, more reserve players. They just didn't belong on the same field as some of the guys the Ravens had out there at that point in the game. Yeah, lots, uh, lots to like about the Ravens' depth. And, we, of course, we love the Ravens' depth every year as it, as, as it starts out. I think every team likes it. It's kind of like every team on opening day in baseball has a, has a chance to win the pennant kind of thing. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's how teams feel about their depth. One thing we didn't see, and, and I, I'm, I'm not shocked by this anyway, was McDonald um, did not play any exotic packages or scheme in this game. So in particular in terms of packages, they had 62 defensive snaps and had 124 snaps from inside linebacker. Now, I, didn't, I don't go, in fact, in the preseason and record every single defensive player by play like I have back to the beginning of Ravens history. I only do it for, the, for a regular season game. But I did notice that the, in the snap counts, they had 124 total inside linebacker snaps for 62 snaps. So that tells me they had two on every play, or maybe they had three on some play and one on others. But I believe they had two on every single play. That being the case, I mean, that, that tells you that they're going with a very deep position they really needed to get all those guys looked at. And, and I think that was the case with their UDFA linebacker. Group. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I also don't think they're 
want to show their hand too much. You know, in preseason week one, um, you don't really want to go out there with with a scheme heavy, you know, design on the on the field, showing you know teams what you might be doing in certain you know situations, downs and distances, and, and so forth. But I, I agree. You know, they do have a number of linebackers on this team that they haven't really. Like I think what three undrafted free agent rookies, McLean, Fago, and yep. um, Ross, Josh Ross. Um, yeah, so you know they're looking to see if one of them is going to be a fit, whether it's from a special teams guy or you know probably one of them will be practice squad. You know, there's going to be some someone who's going to stick around in, in some form or another, um, and they need to figure out which one of them is is the best of the bunch um, because. It's you know it's kind of the you know the Ravens tradition to keep around an undrafted inside linebacker and it, it may not be a, a roster spot this year but at least practice squad I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of people are a lot of players in camp are playing for practice squad positions right now, and that certainly would be true in the inside linebacker group. Although there may be there may be one extra there. Um, I'll give you one other reason why you don't do a lot of exotic package and scheme. A scheme in particular where you're trying to use deception in your pass rush, say, or you're trying to rotate coverages, maybe you do want to see if players can do it, but you're better off trying to figure that out in practice. Um, what if, if, you, if you do that during a preseason game, when the quality of talent on the other side is not good enough to recognize a lot of the tricks you might be playing anyway, yeah, you might succeed, but it doesn't really tell you much about your player. So you really want to put them in positions to have one-on-one battles they need to win. That's much more telling. Uh, you know, stress a person to do something that's a little out of their comfort zone, whether that's playing a certain position or maybe you're a less mobile lineman and you ask them to pull uh, would be one thing. You're coming back from an injury. They want to see what you can do um, by pulling or running certain routes with your whatever it might be, depending on your position. Uh, you know, it, it, it puts them in, in, in positions where the coaches learn more about that player. And I think that's, a, that's also a key factor in terms of uh, not bringing out exotic skiing. Yeah, that, that's a good point because they're still evaluating the players at this point and they still want to see, are you capable of executing, you know, kind of basic concepts and can you, you know, win your one-on-ones? Can you tackle? You know, that was one of the things that was a big issue, I think, in this game. And it's not too surprising considering, uh, you know, not having much contact in practices. And that's something that's, I think the Ravens have really kind of moved to because they want to cut down injuries, cut down on wear and tear on bodies. Um, but it was, you know, it was kind of apparent. There were some issues with tackling in this game. There were some bad angles. There were some guys you couldn't wrap up. Um, so that, that's something that these live reps are, are really the only telling time when you can, can actually evaluate how they're going to be in those situations. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it was a it was a big issue, and it was probably the Ravens' only really significant defensive issue. I would point to in this game was the lack of quality tackling. Uh, Harrison had some problems with tackling, uh, bad angle angle on the backside, just really bad backside contained by Hamilton on Malik mm-hmm. Willis's seven yard TD run, which also had a missed tackle by Hamilton at the four yard line. Uh, so, so you had kind of a, a, a two for one on that play. Um, there were other missed tackles and, and, and pretty much all over the field. One thing I want to I want to point out about missed tackles is, I think if you go to a service like PFF, they will really over penalize for missed tackles. Now every system has relative weightings that will, will will weigh more heavily against a player for a missed tackle. I'm here to tell you that there's missed tackles and there's missed tackles. If you redirect a running back in the backfield, miss the tackle but turn him 90 degrees. 
get him running laterally the line of scrimmage, that's usually not going to end up being a very costly missed tackle. Your, the rest of your defense will rally and get that guy. Um, if you miss a tackle in the secondary in one-on-one coverage 30 yards down the field with no safety help, you cost your team a touchdown probably. That's a lot different. So, you know, it, it, there almost should be like missed tackle levels that exist with this. So, sure, the, the you know, not containing Malik Willis is a pretty serious error. Missing Malik Willis at the four-yard line is also a, a pretty serious error, though maybe not in terms of expected points as much as it, as it is. But it's a, you gave up a touchdown on the play where you could have deferred it. Um, the, the, the missed tackle that was not serious that you know, kind of weighs heavily in a grading of a player yeah. like Brent Urban uh, was, was his. And, and you know, he, what did Brent Urban do on that play? Let's just examine that for a second. He, he got into the backfield. He ragdolled, I think it was Petit Frere, 78, mm-hmm. the right tackle at that point, threw him out of the way, got into the backfield, and disrupted the play. So, so the running back had to stop and turn. And, uh, you know, he missed the tackle at that point. Okay, that wasn't ideal. You know, the Ravens would have loved to have him taken down there. But what happened after that? The rest of the defense rallied. It was basically, a, you know, a, a turn of the running back kind of situation. Harrison knocked the ball loose, and three guys were ready to jump on it because, hey, they were running to, to make the tackle as well. And, you know, it's, it's just not serious. And, and I look at that from Brent Urban's perspective. That's exactly what the Ravens brought him back to do. Penetrate into the backfield and disrupt running plays. And you don't have to be the guy that makes the tackle in those cases. You need to disrupt the play. That's much more important than actually bringing the guy down to the, the ground. So I think if, if you look at that play and you really think that was a bad play by Brent Urban, you just don't, you, you don't understand. Brent. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's definitely, it's a, one of the you know the better plays you're going to see out of a defensive lineman that he completely screwed up that play for the offense and whether or not the player fumbled yeah. that you I mean that's that could potentially be part of that too because you know the timing of the plays messed up like you said the defenders can get there they can rally to the ball you have multiple guys tackling him at once and you know that's directly caused by what what Urban was able to do um, and even if you bring him for a tackle for loss on that play instead of you know knocking him down at the line of scrimmage and getting a fumble, then you're maybe worse off. So maybe it was better in this instance that he missed the tackle. Um, but it's, you know, I, I agree with you. I think um, there's just some residual uh, pain left over from last season. I think looking at all of the missed tackles and, and a lot of those missed tackles were the painful kind, you know, the type that were yes. defensive backs um, whiffing on, on a wide receiver on, on a screen or on a short route. And then, watching you know jamar chase run for 50 yards into the end zone i feel like that happened you know more times than i care to remember and and that's something that i think is still etched in the brains of a lot of uh, ravens fans and when we see tackling becoming an issue and then the first game back um in the preseason that's like that's a red flag city right so we're, we're hoping that that's something that can be you know improved upon over these course of these next couple of weeks and once the regular season rolls around i'm hoping that that's not something that's going to be a concern again yeah, I, I I agree, and I think your your point is well taken about this being the first opportunity to you know one of the first opportunities to play in pads. I think the point was made during the show, during the during the um, broadcast, that after one quarter they'd already had more live fire than they'd seen you know in all of their padded practices and whatnot. So uh, you know they they also even when pads even when they practice in pads. They don't tackle the way they tackle in an NFL game. Do you think they, you know, take down the quarterback the, the way that uh, you do? I mean, they don't even take down the quarterback at all. But do you think they take the running back down 
the way? And the answer would be no. I mean, yeah, they do take them to the ground in a padded practice and in the in the in the highest ratchet up, but they don't go low on a, on a, on any player. They don't cut block. There's a whole bunch of things they don't do, even in a padded practice uh, where you're internal. And even when they have uh, some of the joint practices, which are good competitive practices, and they definitely are, are a positive. They still stick stick by their own rules of practice, meaning you know no cut blocking, no no low stuff, you know don't go hard, that kind of thing. Uh, those rules are all there. Yeah, and I think that's important as well because we don't want another you know recurrence of the injury plague season that we had last year. And I think that's been a focus so far from and diff- multiple different aspects of of how the coaching staff has handled this this training camp, this preseason, and I'm I'm hoping that you know we won't have that kind of scape of injuries that we had and you know i would allow for you know maybe some some rustiness when it comes to tackling if that means you know not having you know two players go down um and even though the injuries last year were non-contact but in those situations when you're when you're going as hard as you can the chances of you getting injured are going to be higher that there's there's no doubt about that so i i think it's kind of a a definite focus of this team to be as you know as smart and, and as intelligent about how they train as possible, and I think that's a is a positive thing in, in my opinion. They have they have some new um, biometric data system they're using this year. You probably heard about it, but they're but they uh, uh, I, I, you know I've heard of other systems. We had some some uh, young fellows from Brazil on to talk about their system for measuring uh, heat deltas in muscles. That was really cool, but I, I don't know exactly what this is that does it. But I think it may measure your heart rate, kind of like a one of those watches. What are those called? Fitbit, Fitbit, yeah. Fitbit. yeah. That that uh, uh, you know give you your uh, biometric feedback, and they and they tell you something about your exercise load supposedly. So you know the the fact that the Ravens are going to that and not trying to just do it by their own uh, lay injury rules and lay practice rules, I'll say, is is a positive thing. You know, you, you got to be embracing whatever technology can tell you new about about how the human body can can react to stress if you want to survive in the National Football League, because this league is completely about health. And in fact, in some ways, to me, it's, it's almost too much about that. It's, it's, it's uh, injuries now being at a higher rate have a, have a more significant impact than they ever have on uh, the NFL and, and the outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've seen that across the NFL, that the, the rate of like those the ACLs and and the Achilles tears, um, they they keep increasing. And whether it's because of the turf in some of the fields, or whether it's because of just you know the overtraining of bodies, you know, you know players trying to be in this like kind of perfect kind of physical specimen where there's little room for for any type of error or anything that's going slightly in the wrong direction. All of a sudden, you have a, a torn ligament. Um, I mean, these players are highly tuned machines, essentially. And um, I think using the, any type of technology or analysis, analytics that you can to ascertain how these bodies are responding to, whether it's you know, the, tra- the practices or the, or the training off the field, whatever it may be. Obviously, you know, you want these players in, in peak like, condition, but you also want to make sure that their bodies are responding in, in the correct way and, and a- able to recover I think that's one of the key words that you know Harbaugh has mentioned is, is recovery, um, and making sure that the players are ready to not both physically but also mentally, you know, be engaged and be ready to you know come into the next day and continue to build on it from what they were doing the day before. Yeah, 
Uh, Ravens seem to be online there. I hope uh, you know fewer injuries probably this camp. It does you know a day after they're now missing a couple more wide receivers out of four that they really have on their roster. It, I, I, it's hard for me to say those words without kind of choking a little bit. But you know they are where they are, and hopefully they, they've uh, you know they're. We've gotten, I think, the rosiest picture of the pup list so far, and when people will be back. I think that that's the. If I if this were a negotiation with Harbaugh for when these players were coming back, I'd say that's the that's the platform for further negotiations on that or later that these guys will be back. You know, he's hoping, giving the most hopeful prognosis on uh, Ronnie Stanley and Tyus Bowser and Gus Edwards and and Ajabo in terms of when they'll be back. But uh, um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get a better result than what he's projected so far because I can't ever remember Harbaugh being really conservative about when somebody's going to come back from it. Yeah, I think they're they're playing it conservative across the board. Um, When they come off the list, that's probably when we'll know. You know, there's not going to be any kind of like they're coming off on next Friday or there's no date that's set in stone for any of them. It's going to be when they're ready. Um, I think it's both. It's going to be a joint decision made by the player and by the training staff, um, and I think that's probably the best way of doing it. And and while we have seen some injuries, um, you know, players sidelined, it's been mostly you know small kind of like week one to two week day day to day injuries. I think Vince Beagle was the only major injury we've seen mm-hmm. so far. Um, you know, he had a ruptured Achilles, so that's very unfortunate. He was looking like he might be someone who could contribute, especially at, as we talked about the thin outside linebacker position. But um, so far, you know, those those types of, you know, kind of season-changing um, injuries have, have not really hit the Ravens at this point. And, and hopefully we can continue that at least until the season starts because eventually there probably will be some. It's, it's always going to happen to some players. But um, keep them, keeping them as low as possible, like you said, it's one of the key factors for, for teams that go deep in the playoffs these years. Absolutely. Let's move on to a happier topic and talk about the turnover ratio because not only do I like them winning the turnover ratio 3-1, to one, could have been three to nothing, been. by the way, if they looked at that call. Should have been three to nothing. But I like how they did it. Okay, so I'm not talking about the first fumble because I think that was a fortunate instance initiated by a very good play by Urban, followed up by good pursuit to the football, good good knockout by Harrison, certainly to get the forced fumble. I think that was playing defense the right way, which 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 led to that. Which just that's very positive, but there's nothing like we should have predicted that that fumble was going to happen. The second two, on the other hand, were great instances of the Ravens playing with a lead. I think as very positive portent for the year. I'd love that every quarterback they faced were like a second half Tennessee Titans, you know, yeah. Woodside that they that they could take advantage of. But and that won't be the case, obviously. But you know. One thing we saw consistently during this football game on defense, the Ravens were laying back. Their safeties were looking into the backfield. Oftentimes their cornerbacks had their eyes into the backfield and weren't playing man coverage. They were playing zone and they were playing underneath players and and you're doing the best they can with that. That's what gives you good interception opportunities. Uh, And and they they converted most of those. Geno Stone missed one. Uh, you know, he tried to go underneath on a, on one, but uh, but he got another, and it, that was a much harder <laughs> interception opportunity, frankly. And he and he converted it. Um, but looking back at the football, this is the way this Ravens team with the lead is going to absolutely be able to lean on opponents this season, in my opinion. So I thought two of those two of those interceptions, I really liked the uh, the nature of it. You know, one of them was the jump ball where Worley was was in position and he had his eyes on the on the on the quarterback, and then the uh, 
uh, you know, the, the one by Stone, which was a tip ball, but uh, Ross obviously saw it coming out of the hand, which is one thing an inside linebacker has not typically done for us, made a great play on the football, and then furthermore, Stone's looking in the backfield and comes up and gets it. Yeah, and I, just like you said, eyes on the quarterback, eyes on the football, knowing what's going on around you. Um, you know, that's how Stone was able to pick off the ball. He was right there in good position. We've seen him do that in the past, in the preseason. I think he has a knack for kind of... Mm-hmm understanding the play developing in front of him. Um, he was perfectly positioned to make that play on the ball. He obviously is, is pretty skilled, I think, in terms of coming down with the ball. Um, so that that was great to see. Um, the Worley interception, just like you said, um, eyes on the quarterback. It was kind of a jump ball. That, you know, I think they were, was it third down? Underthrown. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. I'll, I'm not I'll 100% get that for sure, you. but he, he, was, he was kind of, he had a, maybe someone in his face. He's kind of like, putting up a prayer he has a guy we'll see what happens um that's the situation i'd like to see the ravens in and if they have players in the back end that can you know take advantage of that then that, that's going to be fruitful for them because i think you know with, with hamilton he's someone who was able to get interceptions in in college game you had um obviously parkus peters one of the best interceptors in the history of the nfl hopefully having him back out there will generate some more turnovers as well mm-hmm. and then you know humphrey has he's not been getting tons of interceptions in his career he's forced more fumbles and caused caught interceptions but you know he has the ability he has ball skills um if and if he's not locked in on man man-to-man coverage as much i think those interceptions will come to him as well so it, yeah. yeah go ahead sorry i thought you were done but it, it, it's uh, with with humphrey i think there's two things one is getting him out of the slot and getting him back on the boundary where he can make more use of those baseball mm-hmm. bat arms. And the second of all, if he's if he's locked up on an X receiver, he'll probably have more jump ball opportunities. He's not bad at looking back into the backfield. I mean, you know, those Tennessee cornerbacks weren't even giving it an effort against, you know, tall receivers, which is death. You know, they're, they're going to get beaten under those circumstances. But the Humphrey's not bad at looking back in. And if he's on the back end of cover three, which should happen some this year because usually your outside corners are on the back end on each side. Uh, one of your safeties moves up to take an underneath spot. Uh, you've, you've got a, a really good chance to get him some good opportunities to look into the backfield, use those skills to know where the ball is going. And, you know, it, he certainly has a nose for picking the ball up off the ground. And, and I think we've seen him pick the ball up off the, out of the air in most, I'm thinking back to the beginning of, was it just last season or was it, or was it two years ago when Campbell's first game as a Raven when he tipped the ball against Cleveland in the, at the beginning of the game and Humphrey, he was all upset that he missed the interception and Humphrey came up and made it. Yeah, that was two years ago. Um, but And then last year, I think, I know Humphrey had an interception in the end zone against the Bengals. Um, he might have had one more. I'm not sure. But that, hopefully that's something that we'll see, we'll see a little bit more of this year. Um, and then, you know, Pepe Williams, he almost had a pick six on the first drive of the game. So if he's someone who can be a, a playmaker out of, out of the slot and kind of cut break on some of those, those out, you know, those quick outs, if, I mean, he, he had that ball in his hands, he could have gone. I think that's one he, yeah. he definitely wants to have back. So I think the secondary is full of, of guys. Um, and we haven't even mentioned Marcus Williams. He's one of the rangiest safeties out there. He's definitely going to be able to make some plays on the ball, especially with the kind of corners that the Ravens have um, on the outside. He'll, he'll be someone who I think is going to be an impact player in, in that way as well. I think you asked what down and distance it was. It was second okay. and eight on the 42-yard interception at the two-yard line of the 40-yard yeah. interception. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, uh, that was probably the beginning of the of the of the clinch yeah. with that interception and it was finished off by Stone, certainly. 
We'll do what we normally do now. This is always a lot of fun, but we're going to go by position group, and we'll just keep naming players and something we kind of saw about them, kind of give them a chance to discuss them. We don't have to talk about every player, but we can go as long as you want, Gabe. I love this this uh, type of conversation with you always. Uh, let's start with the defensive line, where I thought there were there were quite a few standouts, but pick a guy that you, you saw something you really liked. I mean, from. I have to start with Travis Jones. He, he was just incredible, I think, and his first football game for the Ravens. He was very effective in, in run defense, um, very stout, um, able to shed, I think, extremely well, um, able to take on double teams. Um, he also flashed in the pass rush against the pass. We had a really nice bull rush. I remember, you know, he, he drove, the, I think it was the the center guard right back into the lap of the quarterback. He obviously had a sack um, when, when, the, when Willis was flushed out of the pocket at the end of the second half. Um, the athleticism he showed on that play... It, cannot be understated you know that, that's your nose tackle who is running after a very athletic quarterback and taking him to the ground um that in, in space. space that 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 is incredibly impressive play and you know i think i've been on this podcast before saying how impressive i was or how impressed i was by jones's athleticism at the combine and, and he was overshadowed by the likes of of um namely the georgia defensive tackle two Georgia defensive tackles, uh, Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis. Um, who kind of blew everybody out of the water. Travis Jones was right there behind him in terms of what he did and, and pretty much all the different athletic testing. And he's also a huge guy. He's uh, 6'4", 340, and he moves like someone who is much more nimble than that. And that type of athleticism um, and the ability to not only play the run but also play against the pass is, is a really special skill set in today's NFL. And I think he's going to pretty quickly become a very impactful player for the Ravens defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I basically we're going to mirror almost everything you said here. Love the pass rush and what he did. Great bull rush. Uh, he was a man among boys among those ten, Tennessee D, uh, offensive linemen. And we know they're not probably playing their top guys, and we think Travis Jones is probably one of our top guys. That's how I would say it. The most, probably the most significant thing I can say about this is I expect Travis Jones to immediately, based on what I've seen in this game, take a very significant role this year in terms of snaps. I don't think it'll be a grade up. I don't think he'll be you know, taking a third of total snaps of nose tackle with Pierce taking two thirds. I think they're going to be looking for ways to pair those two up one three. Uh, you know, to, to get the best possible run defense on the field at times. Like, if the Ravens are trailing in a game, certainly that would be a good strategy to use. Would be to get your get your great run defenders on both at the same time. Even if you're in base, you know, starting out the game, you might want those two and Campbell or those two and Urban if Campbell's taking a break uh, to be on the field. That's a, that's a formidable yep. run defense unit having those two guys. And uh, you know, it, it, it. I remember Billick saying that you really didn't understand football if you didn't understand that two big fat guys couldn't just make an inside linebacker great, that, that Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams would But those guys were, were – Siragusa was a great technician. Adams was a great athlete. And, the, you know, the, the two of them – and that's at that point in their career. I'm not banging Siragusa. He was probably a better athlete early on, but he was a technician by that point. The, the two of them did create an environment that was outrageously good. And I think that Pierce – and Travis Jones have that same opportunity uh, to improve the inside linebacker play on this team, which I think is is exciting. Yeah, if, if that is the case, you know, you're keeping guys like Patrick Queen a little cleaner, a little bit more mm-hmm. able to be more aggressive in, in his, his run fits, be able to shoot the gap. You know, we started to see that a little bit more often with, with Queen last year, and he was getting some splash plays in run defense. Um, and if he has more opportunities like that this year, I think that will really benefit him as, as a linebacker. Um, and, you know, 
I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Malik Harrison later. I've seen good flashes from him, especially in run defense. I'm, I'm still not sold with him being on the field and, and passing downs. But, you know, he, he can also be, I think, an, a very impactful guy against the run. And he's stout, and he, um, and he can take on blockers too. So I think having those two out there, along with Josh Bynes, mixed in as well i think that's a that's a very good linebacker core against the run what how they work against the pass we'll, 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 you know we can talk about that we'll get to the linebackers a little bit later maybe we'll see the safeties more involved but that run defense ability that they're going to have is going to be i think one of the better units in the league and hopefully the pass defense can hold up as well because you don't really want to become a pass funnel in terms of being able to just allow teams just to pass the ball on you all the time but if you can shut down the run especially on teams that like to run the ball it gives you a huge advantage well one of the nice things they have and and you just said an important thing is to you know keep keep the linebacker clean and and how the defensive tackle um basically makes that happen Offensive linemen, when they're making combination blocks, and this could be an offensive lineman, a tight end, it can be a tackle and a guard, a guard and a center, whatever it is. The, the key for them is to resolve that block yep. quickly by letting one guy get teed up while the other guy moves to level two. And that go code or that release that they have agreed upon, the defensive tackle and the, and the, the guy who's playing, by a combination of reading keys, staying between those guys, keeping them both at 45-degree angles, whatever you might want to think about it, uh, you know, not giving in to the push that they're obviously trying to give you, um, is what is what allows them to keep those double teams on them for longer and allow those those linebackers to be more impactful. So I I you know looking at Travis Jones' incredible ability to penetrate, um, I you know I got to believe that's going to really help. I mean you know you, you you disrupt plays if you if you get into the backfield you can hopefully he's a, the kind of guy who can actually hold up to some double teams. He did get blocked a couple times in this game. I didn't think it was bad, but uh, but on the on the chestnut yep. uh, run right for twenty nine, he did get blocked by the center in a way that I thought was it wasn't the it wasn't the best. But he had, had so many other highlight plays in this game that I think you know the clay is there. It's easy to see why Michael Pierce clearly thinks you know. This is a guy being built in my own image, kind of thing. Almost, he, he, he probably thinks he's even better. But you know, when, whenever you see a talented young person who's reporting to you, your natural your natural thing to think is, boy, I, I really like the way this guy thinks, and I, I you know I'd like to you know help him grow and whatnot. But you're really. It's what you're really being is Charlie Lau, the hitting coach who who made his reputation on coaching George Brett. <laughs> so, did he really teach him how to hit? I don't know. No. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I think Pierce probably understands. He's he's a, he's a veteran. He's been around. He's been a good player. But I think you look at this the natural tool set that Travis Jones has, and it's something that he probably never wished he could have in a million years. He just doesn't have that size. He doesn't have that length. He doesn't have that twitchiness. Um, and he's looking at this guy and saying, if he if he learns, you know, kind of the technique and you know the little things, the little advantages you can learn at the position, then he can be a dominant player in this league. And hopefully, you know, with guys like Campbell and guys like Pierce, the veterans that have been around the block um, they can you know give that knowledge give that wisdom to a young player like Jones and see him really be turned into one of those dominant players who can really you know be a centerpiece of, of, a, de- of a defense in the NFL now we got to move on in just a second from Pierce but the one thing I saw is I, I, I like him as a nose tackle I'm happy with him playing there I think he'll be very good um, but he'll, he'll be exposed to a lot of double teams there 
after this game, could you be anything but really excited by his prospects of beating a guard one-on-one as a three-tech? Yeah, I, I think that's part of his skill set. And, and, you know, I thought that was one of the reasons why I was surprised that the Ravens got him when, when he was there available in, in the third round. And I know because of his size and where he played mostly in college, he was built as a nose tackle. But I don't. I think he has those skills to be more versatile along the line. He can play the three. He can probably even play, you know, like the five-eye kind of four-eye position um, that you'll see in some of the fronts that the Ravens have. Um, he's versatile enough to, to, you know, fill a lot of those roles on the defense. And that's something that's going to allow other players like Matt Abike, who is like a unique talent on his own right, to really thrive as well. Because how often can you double-team um, Jones and Matt Abike and Campbell on the same line at the same time. That's not something that many, you know, many offensive linemen are going to be looking forward to. And that's going to be a really fun package of players that uh, the Ravens, uh, that Mike McDonald's going to have available to him. Um, and I think it's really going to be a difference in how this team looks compared to what it's looked in the past. Cause they just haven't had that much talent and the defensive line. It's been good, but not like this. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, replacing Brandon Williams with a player like Travis Jones, and I'm talking about Brandon Williams 2021, not Brandon Williams 2015. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't go that far. But re- replacing Brandon Williams with a player like Jones is definitely a, a pretty significant upgrade at this point. And it, it'll make the t- it, you know, I'm, I'm really excited that it's an opportunity to have a quality player come in and make the defense younger, the defensive line, because that's a real problem. That, that unit needs to turn over. They got rid of Wolf, but they, you know, they still have Urban, who's an older guy, who's a, who's a, who's a, you know, a temporary player. We don't know if Campbell's deal is really a one or two year deal. It's it's signed for two years, but it may really be one, and he, and and this thing is structured to be only a one year deal. So, um, anyway, I'm I'm uh, very optimistic based on what we saw. The rest of the defensive line, maybe we talked about these, some of these guys at group, but they all did some terrific things. Every single one of them did some things to get pressure in this game. Mac. Uh, played 37 snaps. Now, Mac is not a long-term player with the Ravens. He's a fourth-year player. So if he doesn't make it this year, he's going to be playing somewhere else in the NFL. The Ravens will probably trade him and, and maybe actually get something for him because he, he has a little bit of good play versus Cincinnati last year and obviously some good play in the preseason this year already. I had him for contributions to three run stuffs. Uh, he had a pressure and a quarterback hit in this game. No doubt about it, he makes some roster. I just don't see that there's necessarily room for him on the Ravens with all the talent they have. Yeah, I, th- I thought he played really well. And, and like you said, he's been around a little bit. Um, I think that – I don't know if the Ravens will be able to trade him. I'm not sure if he has that much you know, interest because I think teams know who's going to make rosters for the most part. And you can look at the Ravens roster and say, you know, he's an odd man out. Um, Got to have two bidders. <laughs> Potentially. I mean, not not everybody has this depth that we're talking about for the Ravens, clearly. Um, and there might be a team out there that's that's interested. So if, if they want to throw, you know, conditional, what is it, conditional seventh, conditional sixth, something like that, um, that's something that, you know, Eric Tocasso would gladly take, I think. But he, he's someone who deserves to be on a roster. I agree with you completely. He, I mean, as, as a rotational kind of uh, similar position, nose tackle, maybe some three technique. Um, but he, he's he's a solid defensive lineman, and he's someone who can give you 15, 20 snaps a game and, and not look bad when he's out there. Yeah, highly probably, and good good pass rusher too. I mean, this, this showed up last year in, his actual, in the actual snaps he played. Um, I think that the odds would be very high that if he were on the Ravens practice squad that he would be called upon at some point during the year and not necessarily by the Ravens, but, but, you know, you, well, you'd hope it wouldn't be the Ravens, but by some team in the league, certainly. And, uh, he brought in, uh, Crawford, I thought Aaron Crawford, 
played pretty well. Looked fairly stout as a run defender. I recorded one pressure for him uh, where he swam past the left guard. Uh, that contributed in the end to Chuck Wiley's quarterback hit on that play. But 26 snaps. Three tackle contributions in the game. I thought he, I thought he looks off. Yeah, I, I've always been an Aaron Crawford fan. Um, I remember him as a rookie when he came off the practice squad, played against the Steelers, flashed in that game. Um, I, I liked him as an undrafted free agent that the Ravens picked up. Um, he's someone that is has been on the, you know, in the Ravens system now, going into his third year. So he's been around a little bit. He looks like he kind of looks like uh, Michael Pierce. Just if you look at him, this is his body type. He's very, very like you know like stout um kind of you know your fire hydrant type player but he plays with good leverage and um i th- i think he's someone who might be in a similar boat um i don't know if he's going to get traded for but he's definitely a candidate to be on the practice squad of the ravens once again and maybe be someone who's called up uh, if, he, if he doesn't get picked up by another team um, i think he could play in the nfl i think as as another rotational player he's more of a nose tackle um, than anything else but you know he is a stout run defender and i think it's someone that is is going to see some looks from from somebody if, his, if he doesn't get, end up with the Ravens. He's a he's a uh, he's a one three in my mind. Um, you know, obviously, he probably would would be more likely to see one than three. But um, at three hundred fifteen pounds, he doesn't really have prototypical NFL nose tackle size at this point in time. I know there are some teams that want to go with a smaller guy, but uh, but Crawford as a run defender has looked good, and I think he is a guy you can you can match up with a with another nose tackle and get that one three look you want when you really need to stop the run in, in a game. I think he looks like he might be a little heftier than three fifteen. <laughs> Maybe it's because he's a little huh. shorter than the other guys out there. I think he's only like six foot, six one, so he's kind of rounder. But he's, if you look at his, his just his thickness, he's he's someone who looks like he's got a little bit more to him than that. That might have been his college weight that's still being listed. So we'll, we'll see about that. There's certainly a fair amount of inaccuracy in the Ravens' posted weights. We saw that for Ricard last year, so I, I'll, I'll go along with you on that. Uh, I got one other player I just want to mention quickly, if you don't mind. Uh, Rashad Nichols, I thought, uh, did much better than I would have expected. And he, he wasn't a guy I really expected anything from coming into this game, but he, but he wound up with 27 snap, snaps at defensive tackle, two quarterback hits plus another pressure as I was scored. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable from an interior defensive lineman you know, for, for the Ravens in, in terms of their recent uh, lack of pass rush success there. Um, he, Primarily one-on-one wins. We're not talking about some sort of schematic wins where, where he's an under or an over guy that's looping or you know getting the advantage of some quick player or whatnot, what that might be. But uh, you know, he's in the backfield a couple of times. Just very positive game from my point of view. And I, obviously, he's playing the second half, so some question of quality of competition. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely like on the you know bottom end of, of the kind of the defensive tack defensive tackle depth chart um but i i haven't seen anything from him before he was undrafted rookie um so anything that he's giving is is brand new um i haven't really seen many reports out of training camp highlighting him either um but i think you know he's someone who has some upside to him obviously as an interior pass rusher um i don't really like i said know much about him i I keep wanting to call him Bilal nichols because (laughs) there is another defensive tackle in the nfl i'm like oh there's there's Bilal nichols but nope it's not Bilal nichols it's rashad nichols um he's you know maybe another practice squad 
option for the Ravens. Um, there's less information about him, so it's more likely that he probably does end up that way if, if some of the other players ahead of him get scooped up by other teams. Um, and, and if he can provide some interior pass rush, then that's an interesting option to have around uh, the system. Now, this is an interesting point, but he went to Stephen F. Austin, obviously small school, and maybe a bit of the Ravens' small school scouting coming back. They've had largely large school picks in the last couple of years under DaCosta, which is a little strange because DaCosta really is, in my thinking, the architect of a lot of their small school scouting, and they've done less of it with him. But this is a guy, you know, clearly that, that he believes in and uh, and probably looks like a reasonable chance if they kept him around on the practice squad. I think there's a reasonable hope you, you eventually derive value from the guy, kind of like you thought maybe you would with Crawford when he got in the COVID game. Uh, against Pittsburgh, but he's a guy who who probably at some point will, will, will pay a dividend if you can have him make it through this year on the practice squad because uh, uh, you know that obviously is always a risk as the roster's thin during the year. More and more defensive linemen are needed. You 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 have a little bit less of a standard as you go, and a player like Rashad Nichols, as, as time moves on, becomes more attractive to another team because of his four year option value. So they say, yeah, we need a player now, but we also want a player that could that could pay dividends for us later and, and having a rookie is really nice yeah that's definitely true um and i guess if you're an undrafted rookie you have three years and then you have the the tender still you still get the you get the you get tender, but it's four years, four of years control. Control. so the fourth year is more expensive but yeah. you still get that year of control um yeah. so yeah i mean i think that you know the ravens might actually want to keep him around because they want to have like you said younger players um he is obviously younger than the rest of these guys we've talked about. Um, and he, if he can actually offer some pass rush upside, then he's definitely a player that you want to keep in, in the building if you can, I, at least in my opinion. Yeah, very much so. So uh, good, good, really just great balanced uh, defensive line contributions across. Where would you like to go next in terms of position groups? Um, let's talk, let's stick with like the defensive line area and go with outside linebacker which might be quick sure. because there wasn't too much to talk about yeah. <laughs> the number of players um yeah. but i think steven means was was the, the guy who really flashed the most in this game um been around the league for a long time i think eight years eight or nine years in the league now he's kind of bounced around mm-hmm. played a, he's going to be 30 yeah so i mean if, if he's going to have a chance in the nfl this is probably the last one he has frankly um and this might be the best one he has because of the depth that the ravens have at the position um i, th- I thought he looked pretty good um i wasn't overly wowed by what he did but he did have a few nice pressures obviously the sack was a nice kind of rip move um you know not overly explosive off the edge but he has good size he seemed to do fairly well in the in the run game um so i you know if he's your your kind of depth outside linebacker as you're waiting for other guys to get healthy depending on how bowser looks if he if he starts on the pup i think means will definitely probably make the roster um if, if bowser can you know play at the beginning of the season there it might be a little bit harder to fit him on but he might still make it uh, depending on how some of these other positions shake out but overall i was, I was impressed by the way he played in this game i know we we've been the last few years watching mcphee uh, grow old very comfortably as a Raven in terms of, of still providing value, providing way more snaps than anybody thought it'd be possible he could play. Um, Means strikes me as not terribly dissimilar. First of all, Means comes to the Ravens with a um, a rep really as a run defender 
Uh, he has a little bit of juice as a pass rusher, but that's never really been his game. It's really been more of he's a big bully on the edge who can who can set that edge against a tackle. He has kind of violent hands that allows him to uh, do some things to manipulate an offensive tackle in a way. Uh, we saw some of that in this game, but I really liked what we saw from him as a pass rusher. I thought it was much better than, than what was expected. Some of his wins were against not great guys. Obviously, Petit Frere got, got bashed around by a few different mm-hmm. linemen in this guy. He's a rookie, and, and uh, you know, he's on some lists of offensive tackles that people had never anywhere near the top ten. Um, the guy who he did a good job again was Dylan Radons, who was last year out of uh, North Dakota State. He was in, with, with Trey, Trey Lance. He was one of the few guys at a small school who was actually playing. And, uh, uh, you know, he did, he made a good job on him shedding him to tackle Haskins on a three yard run. That was, uh, you know, midway through the first quarter. And then he, he beat Delorio outside, uh, Deloro, Deloro, I believe is his name outside for that sack minus six. What was good there is I, I know he missed the forced fumble, but he, but he was yeah. looking for it. He was, he was actually, you know, seeking it clearly in the way he was approaching the quarterback there with, with, uh, uh, first. So that was a, that, that was good. I, there was just, to my mind, there was a lot of things. So, like, he flushed Willis right. Uh, Hayes continued the job, chased him down, and forced an incomplete pass. I mean, just solid, balanced contributions. I think he's a guy who certainly could make the Ravens. If they put him on the practice squad, which, you know, they can do under the current rules, um, if there's no other interest, I, I think he's one of the guys who gets taken pretty quickly as um, depth degrades. Yeah, it, it could be that way. I mean, I think teams are always looking for edge players. Um, you know, he was available, so that that says something about you know wh- what how he's perceived. I think around the league, um, you know, mm-hmm. he's not someone who's, who's teams are chopping at the bit to pick up necessarily. But if he has a good preseason, then that could you know elevate his status in the eyes of some, including the Ravens. Um, I, I do want to say one thing about him: he needs a new number. You can't be wearing number sixty mm-hmm. as an as an outside linebacker okay. or defensive end or whatever you are. That, that's not going to work. Okay. So what do you, what would you you like to wear a, a 50s yeah, or 90s? Yeah, absolutely. Number? I mean, prob- probably I mean, I don't like the 40s linebackers either. But that's, you know, that's that's another mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> but um 60 is just that I mean, that's a nose tackle at best. Like you cannot be wearing that on the edge. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, personal prejudices of Dave Ferguson, <laughs> not endorsed by this show. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, let's see. Aside from Stephen Means, uh, yeah. Jeremiah Moon got significant playing time in this game. 39 snaps. Uh, really stretched outside linebacker groups. And Moon came in in the middle of the second quarter, and he played for the rest of the game. Uh, so, you know, obviously a long time to be in there. He was flagged for a roughing the passer call that um, I was sitting next to someone who said, oh, you know, how, that's not roughing the passer. And then we looked at the replay, and, of course, he slammed the guy in the head in the most obvious <laughs> roughing the passer way. But, uh, you know, he, he did he did have a pressure. Um, and, in fact, he had pressures on consecutive plays in Q4 near the end of the game. It was on their final drive, I believe. Uh, it was about a minute left in the game, and he had consecutive pressures that, that, that helped end that drive. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't, he's not somebody who's going to make the roster, but it's really nice to have guys like him and Wiley to finish a game where you don't have it. Yeah, I agree. I was kind of intrigued to see, um, what the Ravens would do in this game. I actually thought they might play Malik Harrison a little bit more out, outside linebacker. We saw him, I think one snap, um, there in, in the, was it the first or second series? Um, he, he was he was standing, but there was also an outside linebacker to his mm-hmm. inside. So he was an inside linebacker yeah. at the okay. edge of the line of scrimmage. I saw the same thing. But um, and then yeah, we're, we're back to Moon. You know, he, he's an interesting player. I thought um, when he was in college, 
he kind of got moved from a defensive end to an off the ball line off the ball linebacker position in his last year um he has the athleticism to kind of you know be that that player he's got good size um i think he moves well um there's you know there's an upside with him I, I, i would be interested in potentially keeping him around as a if they're you know, looking for practice squad players just because he's someone that you could potentially develop, I think. You know, he has good size, good length. Um, maybe, you know, there's some raw, you know, attributes there that could potentially turn into a player for you down the line. So, um, you know, the pressures that he had, that's nice to see against, you know, bottom tier, you know, offensive linemen at the, at the end of the in the second half of a week one of preseason. Um, and you know, the play he got called for the rushing passer or roughing the passer, that was, you know, it was a nice movement that he had. He, he was coming pretty clean through on like the, on the, on the stunt there. Um, and if he had just, you know, landed a solid quarterback hit, that would have been a great play that we'd have been talking about. And instead it's obviously a pass, um, you know, roughing the passer and it's a 15 yard penalty, which is not what you want, but um, that, that's one of those rookie mistakes. You know, sometimes you have your hand up to try and block the, block the ball and it comes down in the wrong place and I'm not going to you know ding him too badly for that specific play so I think there's some good things with him yeah this is one of the things I love about talking football with you is you're looking for the right thing so you're looking for what got him to the quarterback what didn't put him in a position to make that play kind of like the urban situation with missing the tackle I mean what's really important is that urban you know destroyed the left tackle on that play not that he that, that he missed the tackle on the on the running back and I think you're, you, you you've caught it correctly here with uh uh, with with Moon in terms of of what he was able to do in in that play and in general in the game because I do have to you know bring up context in this particular case and and really you know wonder if it would have been different had had uh, you know he faced some some pretty good offensive linemen and I, honestly I don't really have a good sense of just how bad um, the, the 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 twos and two and a halfs are for uh, Tennessee. I really don't have a get. Yeah. Don't have a sense of how bad they are, but uh, but they didn't play well yesterday. I can tell well, you. That. I know um, Petit Petit Friere, I think is his name. He was he was like you said. He was not maybe a top ten guy, but he was kind of on the fringe of that. Mm-hmm. He was from Ohio State. I, I when I watched him, I was like, this is not somebody that I want the Ravens to be interested in because I don't think he played that well. But he had that pedigree coming from a you know a school that has you know high caliber athletics. Um, so. I think they took him maybe in the third or fourth round. So he's not someone who's just like a, a non-prospect that they have out there. Um, but he, I don't think he played well in this game at all. I think the Ravens handled him pretty pretty easily. Um, but he's not like a, you know, just end of the roster undrafted free agent type player either. Right. He, he was drafted number 69 overall by the Titans. It kind of tells you something about the shortage of tackles yeah. in the NFL that uh, that he would be drafted that high. Uh, you know, obviously drafted significantly ahead of yeah. Falele. And I, I think, you know, seeing the two of them play, Falele's got a long way to go. And we're going to talk about that on the offensive pod tomorrow night. Lots of things that were just not very good about his game. But uh, in truth, I think I, I like the raw tools that Falele brings to the position a lot more than what I saw at a Oh, ab- Absolutely. And, and as Falele, I think, continues to learn the game. You know, he hasn't been around football as long. And maybe work on his body a little bit more. Um, he has some of those raw natural skills that you just can't teach. Um, and and he's someone that I think the Ravens clearly see as, as a project. But if he reaches, you know, what he can be, he's someone who could be, you know, a stalwart right tackle for them for many years. 
All right, let's go back to the defense here. They'll talk about the last outside linebacker. in, in the, the guy who is most yeah. important because he's going to get real playing time this year is Dalen Hayes. Uh, Ravens are very, very thin at Sam linebacker in particular, having a guy who can cover it all. We saw Moon do a little bit of that in this game, which was nice. Uh, Hayes is the guy they're going to turn to to start the season if Bowser can't go. Uh, and, you know, he's got to play a lot of snaps. And, and I don't know what they'll have to do with, with uh, Dafi Owe if Hayes all of a sudden were to get hurt or, or isn't producing or whatever might happen. Um, Hayes had a... Had a um, mixed results, I would call it, in this game. And, and I, normally that has a really negative connotation. But I just say truly in this case, it was truly mixed results. I think he did some things as a pass rusher to chase down guys that were positive. I think he did some positive things in the run game, probably not as many. Uh, what I didn't like is how easy it was for skill position pass blockers to block him. And a number of instances of this, including uh, Wilkins um, uh, blocked him. It was, it was actually on the play that Pepe Williams nearly intercepted. Uh, this was on the very first drive of the third play. Uh, Wilkins you know, got a clean block on, on Dalen Hayes. And you know, my immediate reaction is that's not supposed to happen. And then he got blocked by Oconquo. Okay, Oconquo is a kind of a big tight end, but you know, still, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and and you know, he did have other pass rush events where you know, one where where he beat uh, Petit Frere for a for a nice flush. Uh, but you know, overall, I, I'd say results are mixed. Jury is still out, and honestly, we didn't see very much of him in coverage, which is probably where he's going to be made or broken. As a yeah, linebacker. we'll see because he's not Tyus Bowser. He doesn't have that athleticism, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can expect or put him in those same positions that you put Bowser in. You know, a couple hundred reps or a couple hundred snaps out of the course of the season because I don't think he has that same skill set. Um, so I'm I'm thinking that if Bowser is going to miss a significant amount of time, yes, you can have Hayes as your as your same linebacker, especially early downs. But I don't think you can have him on out there on passing downs, dropping into coverage and doing those same things. You have to look at other positions, you know, potentially look at, you know, dime coverages, um, having more safeties on the yeah. field to kind of make up for that, that lack of coverage ability you're, you're missing with Bowser. So that, that would be my opinion. I think you would, you know, lean more heavily on OA and Houston as pass rushers and then lean on your, on your, your secondary to do the coverage duties. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think what you're saying is that, that you can have him on the field as an outside linebacker, but you can't rely on a coverage, which means you really can't have a second inside linebacker yeah. on the field if it's a passing down, which means you got to bring in a dime to, to replace your weak side linebacker at least. And you might bring in a quarter and replace both those guys. Uh, if it's if you just don't think as much in coverage as, as uh uh, as you need yeah, to. And, and obviously it'll depend also on what the coverage is. Um, if, if you're doing more kind of zone looks, you, you can get away with maybe a haze dropping into a, you know, a hook or like a shallow flat zone, uh, but you're not going to want him matched up on a tight end and man coverage like you could have Bowser, for instance. So you're going to have different types of, of coverages, I think, based on the personnel that you have available to you. Yeah, and and you know we've obviously seen with this team that the let's move on to the inside linebackers now that they've had a lot of trouble in coverage. Some of that continued in this game, by the way, but there was one really positive late we saw. Who would you like to talk about first among the inside linebackers? Um, you know, we, we've mentioned his name a couple times already, so let's go with Malik Harrison. Um, you know, he played I think the entire first half um, at inside linebacker. Um, he's you yep. know thir- going into his third year. He has been 
off and on the field. He missed some time last year um, due to off-the-field injury, um, but and then he really didn't really have a role after he got back. Um, I'm curious to see what his role on this defense is going to be. Is he just going to be kind of um, a, a backup to, to Josh Bynes? Is he going to be someone who's out there more so on early downs because he's, I think, a good run defender? Um, is he going to be your re- reserve Sam linebacker? If you need someone out there, he could potentially set the edge for you and potentially drop into coverage and, and do some of those things as well. Um, that, that's kind of how I envision him. And I, and I think he, maybe you can use him blitzing a little bit too. I and mean, we saw him a little bit in that role in this game. I think that's something that he can do. Um, he has good size. Um, he's not explosive necessarily. He doesn't have the best speed, but he, I think he did show some of the ability to closed down um he had a nice quarterback hit you know after willis got flushed so there's some good things that he showed in in this game and i'd I'd like to see a little bit more of him i think well let me unpack some of that because it's that's you've laid a laid a bunch on the line here first of all with regard to the playing time he's only had before last night he'd only had one snap since week seven of 2021 on defense so this was a big return to the field for him. It's, it's, it's in a way, it's a return to the trust of Harbaugh to get this kind of a um, uh, of a uh, opportunity to go again. To, you know, to, to he, he had to do some things probably in practice to earn that. Um, he probably did some things to lose that trust last year, both with the actions that happened in Cleveland, perhaps with, with his response to it. We'll never really know. But it didn't really make a lot of sense that, that he never returned to the field in any kind of significant way, but was out there on special teams. He was active for a lot of games. Uh, that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, So, uh, particularly with the, the problems the Ravens had at inside linebacker last year. But, uh, but I, you know, he, he did do some things. I personally believe... The Harrison outside linebacker thing is a complete hoax. I think the only reason you play him there is out of necessity, like the Ravens might have had in this game, which was, would have been reasonable to play him at outside linebacker because they had a need. Uh, but I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think he'll ever see time at outside linebacker for the Ravens in a regular season game that matters uh, uh, without some significant change. Like they draft a new inside linebacker. Or they, you know, I think he's... Right now, you, you, you question what his role is. I think he's really the backup to both players, to both Bynes and Queen, uh, who didn't start that game. I think he'd be the backup Will. I think he'd be the backup Mike. And uh, you know, I think you could, you, I could envision him in either position. To me, he's, a, he's ideally a two-down Mike. I'd rather have Jefferson on the field as a, um, a, a guy who could do better things to control the action on third down or on any passing down. Um, but I, but uh, you know, he could definitely provide you something for two downs and, and help you with your run defense. Yeah, and and also be a core special teamer for you. I think I think that's where his real yeah. value is probably going to be. Um, and if there are injuries or players who are not you know performing well, he might get more of an opportunity to be on the field. But um, I, I I think you nailed it. He's he's kind of just that that backup player who's going to be. Um, called upon maybe in minimal role at time here and there, but he's not going to be someone who's going to be consistently part of the Ravens defensive plan if things go as they want. Let's move on to another player. I'm going to, I'm going to select Christian Welch. I, he's a guy who honestly, I didn't think had a very good game. 
you know, I, I, I have this plus three to minus three system in terms of how much my perception changed to the player in terms of how they'll help the team this year. And Welch was a minus one for me. Uh, I played 35 snaps, uh, made two tackles, no coverage notes that, that I had on him. Uh, now, that can be good if he's not being targeted, um, but, he, but he trailed in coverage on a, on a, on a play by the right sideline. Uh, there wasn't anything about his game that was just so good. I think he missed a tackle also. So um, he was a guy who certainly was given a chance in this game to take a step forward. A lot of people were even saying, you know, he could take Bynes' role as the Mike. I've heard that stated. Uh, I don't see that here. And, and if there's a guy ever who is, you know, earning his um, salary on special teams, Welch is really a guy. I mean, Harrison too, sure. But, but Welch is really a guy. And you, just, you need some bigger players for your, to play the inside on, on punt teams, for example. Uh, you, you want some bigger guys. He's, he's the perfect uh, fit for that kind of thing. And, and the little bit of action we've seen out of him prior to this year was all pretty good at inside linebacker. Last night wasn't particularly special, and I didn't think it was a particularly special unit he was facing. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you in the fact that he didn't do anything that impressed me. Um, nothing stood out as ne- super negative, except I did think he was kind of like late to the action a few times on a few plays. He was just kind of mm-hmm. sluggish to be there in, in the mix when you think that the inside linebacker should be one of the first players to kind of be around, you know, where the tackling is happening. Um, and he just kind of didn't seem to, if I feel like he may, maybe was a little bit lost out there. Maybe that's the way I'll put it. Um, but I mean, last year he made the roster because of special teams. Um, and I think that's his path to the roster again this year. I think the Ravens will carry four linebackers and unless one of these, you know, other undrafted players is going to really shine in a significant way. I think Welch is probably going to be on the roster. Um, I, I don't think he's going to see much of the field, though, um, and probably even less than Harrison will if, if, if things, unless things go you know, pretty terribly wrong at the linebacker position. Right, and that, that was one of the things from Week 7 last year on that Welch and even Joe Thomas got snaps r- rotating in for Bynes and not Harrison. I mean, it almost seemed punitive in nature that that would be occurring. And, uh, you know, they obviously probably saw something they liked in Welch. I don't know what they thought they saw in Joe Thomas, that they were giving him playing time. But uh, I think they might have been sending a message, honestly, to Harrison about about what had happened. Anyway, uh, you want to talk about another inside linebacker? All the UDFA guys I'm yeah, wearing to go. Yeah, I think if anybody's showed me something it would have been Josh Ross. I feel like he was a little bit more active, a little bit more involved um, Michigan guy. So, you know, there might be some connection there with the Harbaugh's. So there's some, maybe some information. I, I kind of liked him um, actually as a college player. I saw a little bit of, you know, talent. He, he has some speed. He has the ability to kind of um, to move around the field and close on the ball. Um, you know, he, he, I think he was the player who got his hand on the interception or the ball, the ball that oh, yeah. turned into interception. So I think he has some, you know, understanding of, of doing things in coverage. So I, I think he showed positive things and I don't, I don't know if he, he's someone who's actually com- compete with Welch, for instance, for that fourth linebacker spot, but it wouldn't surprise me if it, it's a conversation that they're having in, in the castle now. Yeah, but, but it's a, definitely a priority 
um, practice squad yeah. player at the least after last night's game. But I, I'm going to toss the three guys in together and just say that um, you know the order always tells you something. And if I recall correctly, Ross came in before the other I two. Definitely know he came so in. McLean ahead. and Fago yeah. were yeah. the last two to enter. Yeah. So so they thought a little more of Ross, and Ross kind of delivered on that expectation. So I think he's if if you're totem polling it right now at inside linebacker, he's ahead of those other guys. I know a lot of people love Zacoby McLean, and I did too in terms of, of, of what he could potentially be. But um, being a pass defender, that's really, really hard for the Ravens to find, it seems. And if you've got another you know, guy that could grow into an LJ Fort and be a you know a special teams player who could also give you a little bit of pass defense from inside linebacker, that has a lot of value. Uh, we saw the tip pass. We saw a re- another really nice stick of Goodwin, the wide receiver, um, on a three-yard. It was a three-plus-zero play, so a zero yak. Uh, all the players were going downhill at that point. They were allowing the ball to be caught in front of them. That's you know, no problem on that. But always really nice to get a zero yak, clean tackle uh, on those kind of plays. And I like that out of Ross. So I think he's, he's clearly moved ahead of the others um, in, in terms of uh, what – what happened yesterday, but also where they were before that. So I, I, he, did, he didn't hurt his standing at all to me. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, we still have two more games to see how they kind of play out. Um, generally, I guess the third one is when you're kind of really trying to make that last impression. Um, so maybe, you know, somebody has a really big game in, in that last preseason game, and they're the one that kind of makes a push um, to, to – either be in consideration for the final roster spot or, or practice spot uh, or practice spot on the practice squad. So um, there's still some time for it to shake out, but I definitely think, like you said, Ross based off of going into this game, he has, he has an advantage in terms of that pecking order. One one of the nice things would be if they could keep two inside linebackers and you can't, you can't keep two of everything. That's the big thing about the practice squad. You pretty much keep one of every position group, but you can't keep two of every. So this might be a position group, though, that if they go a man short, and they might like to do that because they might like to go a man long at other positions, uh, like safety, say, and, and, and then go without a practice squad guy there or, or maybe only have one anyway at the, at the most. Um, they, they could end up with two inside linebackers in the practice squad. It gives them a little more depth security and, uh, and will live them going and then have one less inside linebacker that makes a team. So I, I'm thinking this is a team that tries to do it with four inside linebackers, but I wouldn't even be all that upset if they try to do it with three. And it was Welch and, say, Ross who were on the practice squad, and they were ready. There's call-ups week by week that you can bring guys up for special teams as you need them. And then, you know, when you, when injuries shake out and you have some reductions to your, your quality depth, you can bring one of them up to, to be another player on the roster that isn't necessarily even one-for-one one replacing an inside linebacker. It could be one-for-one one replacing a safety who goes down and you're down to four, say. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, given some of the talent that is the Ravens have in other positions and some of the issues with injuries at other positions, I think it definitely is possible to see that happen, at least at the beginning of the season. And maybe, you know, week four, week six, somebody gets caught up and stays on the the main roster, or the you know, 53-man roster for the rest of the year. But if depending on if, if someone like Marcus Peters isn't quite ready to go in week one, but you you, you want to keep, you know, that extra cornerback on the roster going into that week one, then maybe you don't need that fourth linebacker. Um, so that's that's an interesting position that they could be in. 
Yeah, if the, and you know, obviously, a lot of that plays into scheme. If you if you see the Ravens go with only three linebackers, we can be sure we're going to get a ton of yeah. dime packages and quarter packages this year because you, you you'd be really playing with fire to go with three inside linebackers, even for a, even for a game, if you weren't really prepared to do that. All right, so I think we talked enough about those three guys. I didn't have a ton of notes on on the other guys on on McLean and Fago. They barely played. Um, so McLean, I think, made one tackle, which was nice. Nice to see him. Uh, oh no, you know what McLean did? He did do a nice thing. He drew the offensive mm-hmm. pass interference on Briley Moore. So uh, Moore seems, by the way, I, I would probably cut him pretty quickly if I were with the Titans. There may be reasons why they just love him for some reason, but he seems like a complete hothead. You know, Stone uh, got up. I guess didn't realize the play was over, and he you know kind of put his put his hand under yep. his helmet and stone fortunately didn't react but they should have flagged more for that and 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 then of course he about as obvious an offensive pass interference as you can make he's just blocking 10 yards down the field uh as the passes the screen pass is being delivered so uh yeah it was I, i'm not saying he's gonna he's gonna get that kind of opportunity versus everybody meaning mclean to make them make stupid mistakes but it's good that he took advantage of a stupid mistake like that when it occurred yeah i mean he there's, there's a little bit of an art to drawing penalties for sure. You know, we, we definitely see that you kind of maybe flail around a little bit or kind of, you know, give, give some type of signal to the ref at saying, Hey, this shouldn't be happening to me. Look at me. I'm being blocked where I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, move on to what position would you like? Um, we, we've already talked a lot about safeties. So let's talk about corners. Um, although okay. it's not, I don't think this needs to be super long conversation because we really only saw one cornerback that's probably going to make the roster, frankly, and th- and that was Pepe Williams, and he only played half the game of corner. So, um, yeah, he's. Um, I think the Ravens found a good player with him. I, I like what I see. You know, not only was he out there, you know, at, as that cornerback, you talked about him playing in the slide, playing outside. He's also your punt returner in this game, so he's very versatile. He pretty much did everything for you that you could. Um, he almost had that pick six, like we talked about. Um, I didn't see any. I think there was maybe one play where he kind of was lost in, in coverage. It, they didn't get hurt or stung by it. But overall, I think he played really well. And um, he's someone that I think is going to contribute this year in the Ravens secondary. Yeah, I, I think he'll start. I don't think there's I, – I, I, you know, obviously Fuller sat this game. And, and part of my question, and this is really the only guy I really want to talk about in some sense, is why did Fuller not see action in this game? Okay, he's a veteran, but he's also a – veteran concern yeah. he's he's a guy they, they paid him the money he's he's on the t- roster no matter what but boy wouldn't you like to see what the guy has and maybe they think they know in practice already what he has or what he doesn't and maybe they say well you know he's going to help us we're not taking a chance with a veteran like this we're going to give him the jimmy smith treatment even though he's not going to start the season mm-hmm. like the last couple of years um that, that i guess that's fine if, if true i just um, I'm not as sanguine about where he is as a player right now after that miserable year he had last year at Denver uh, to believe that, that he's really going to provide a lot to the Ravens. So I'd, I'd like kind of like to see it on the field. But in the end, I have to defer to the coaches on, on who's, you know, they're watching his play. They know what's best for the team um, uh, and, and Fuller is set. But it, it did kind of surprise me that they didn't take this live fire opportunity. For yeah, me. I kind of wonder if it says more about Marcus Peters than it does about Kyle Fuller and whether they think that Peters might not be ready to go at the start of the season and they want, they want Fuller to be that you know starting outside corner opposite of, of Humphrey. Um, and they don't want to risk having him get hurt in a preseason game as well because then you're potentially down, down two corners. Obviously, Jalen Armour Davis still not 
you know, he's a little banged up too. So you want to keep um, the guys that maybe a little older, maybe uh, they don't need the reps necessarily. There's really no need to see him out there aside from trying to get him some confidence, maybe, maybe some work within the system, but they're not going to do anything too abnormal or, or we've already talked about the fact they're very vanilla in, in this game. So I'm not sure what you're really looking for with, with floor out there. It's probably more bad than good. That could happen if he, if he's playing too many snaps in this one, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, not like I don't agree. I'm just, I'm just not convinced of what he's got. So, you know, Mike, I, I'd be looking at this roster and saying, I want a bubble wrap Fuller. I don't want him as a starter, even if he can't go. I'd put Armour Davis out there. He's a you know young, athletic kid. There'll be mistakes, but that's why the Ravens have this great back end of of safeties that can you know can frankly make quarterbacks pay for some cornerback errors, probably. You know, if if we're if we're really looking at what we hope might happen in this season, uh, I I just think you know there's the, the Ravens have other better choices. They've even played um, uh, Pepe on the outside a fair amount. Uh, he was playing there in the stadium practice. Uh, he played there in this game. Obviously, he's he, Brandon Stevens is still around to take over outside corner now. You know, Stevens isn't, doesn't have a pedigree at any NFL position right now. He's played a little bit of safety. You know, he really hasn't played the other positions very much. We'd like to see him, you know, learn a position and and, and stay there probably. Um, but but he would be, you know, certainly one of the top five cornerbacks for the Ravens on the outside th- that I would look at. And uh, uh, you know, I just uh, they they paid Nick anyway. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go any further with with what's going on with Fuller here, but they paid him the money and they're not going to. Uh, uh, I, I guess they've they've they know what they know in terms of of whether or not. Yeah, and I haven't been too encouraged by the training camp reports. He sounds like he's not playing super well. Um, he's kind of been beat up a little bit in terms of coverage. So I, I'm I'm not super excited about the Kyle Fuller era necessarily, but. Um, he, he does still have that, you know, pedigree. He has had, you know, Pro Bowl caliber years, and, and maybe there is something there. Um, and and we won't know probably until he's out there on the field. And maybe he'll see some snaps in the second week. Um, frankly, you know, I, I liked what I saw from Robert Jackson. We can maybe mention his name a little bit. I thought he he played mm-hmm. pretty well. He, I think he played almost the entire game, if not the entire game. Um, yes, so he did. he's also someone who might need a new number, but... Um, he um, <laughs> he's I, he played well. I mean, he's got, got good size. He's listed as six two, like two two hundred two oh five. Um, and the fact that he maybe was called for, I mean, I saw like receptions against him maybe twice the entire game. He's out there the entire time. That's pretty impressive. He was he was doing his job. Um, so if you need someone, he could be someone who could you know come in and play some snaps for you. Yeah, I, I I think he's a perfectly reasonable practice squad option. He obviously wasn't ready last year, you know, when he when he played towards the end of the season. You, you hope he's you know takes a step forward from that. Worley is is the was the other guy on the field with Jackson for a lot of snaps. Obviously, Seymour was out there too. They all all three of them pretty much played the whole game. Uh, Seymour got lost in coverage once yeah. really badly to just hit on a couple guys at once, and that was on the forty eight yard play up the left sideline. I have no idea who he was leaving that coverage for or why he you know turned back towards the quarterback at that point but uh all of a sudden the receivers you know 10 yards behind him or whatever it was and and that looked pretty bad uh he's being obviously he's being asked to do a lot and and was last year in terms of being the versatile guy who could move to the slot and 
really at one point Seymour was the was the team's number one cornerback at the end of the year when when everybody was down. Uh, but the other thing about Seymour is relative to a player like Jackson. Uh, Jackson, let me confirm what year he's in. If this is year two I think for it's him, three or four or for him, three. You're right. He's three. Okay, so that's that's not quite as valuable. Um, but but he would still potentially have you know be a two year option you're getting on the guy whereas with with the older guys with Worley or with um, Seymour you're getting a veteran you have to pay year to year at market value so you, you don't really get anything a, a additional from that so it's, I, it's I'm not saying it's the most but if if you had to give you know Robert Jackson a tender you could do it um, and he probably is he, he probably going to have a lot of time a lot of trouble justifying a second round tender where you pay him about oh, yeah. four million. Uh, you know, so, so unlikely that that's going to happen. But I still, I, I still kind of like to have that. So year three, honestly, he's he's on the bubble to be cut. Uh, you would you would think it would certainly. Um, the Ravens are not going to shed a lot of tears if if they have to cut him, and if he if he gets you know, goes through the process, which he will in the waiver process, and and gets taken by another team, they're not going to be too upset. But they probably you know would like to have a guy like that with a little bit of experience around, just in case they need him. This yeah, year. I would imagine at least one of these players that we saw play most of the snaps is going to be on the practice squad, um, whether that's Jackson or Worley or Seymour. Um, I mean, it, it just seems like there's always an issue with, with injuries, whether it's a two-week injury or someone's lost for the season. Um, you want to have someone who you can you feel like can come in and at least be not a huge liability for you. Um, obviously, if you have multiple players like that, then you're in trouble. But if you have one guy who's kind of your, your fourth cornerback, if you need to turn to him in the middle of a game, then you want to have that option available to you. I do want to point out the three cornerbacks who played the most time for the Ravens in this game were exactly the DoorDash cornerbacks that Wink is referring to when he had that interview. It's 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 yeah. these three guys. You know, Worley came up with a big pick. Uh, Seymour wasn't good in this game, but he's probably been better last year uh, in terms of, of of how he was. And Jackson, you know, as you mentioned, played better than than certainly did last year. So. Uh, probably a little bit unfair uh, for Wink to do that, but I probably wouldn't do that to the organization I had just left and, you know, had been loyal to me for a long time, but maybe it might be an indication of some animosity. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you go on an interview and somebody says, what's your greatest weakness? And you say chocolates. Um, and, and you hope to, that they'll laugh it off and, and, and they hope they, they wouldn't be like me and say, no, seriously, get to it. Or, 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 <laughs> or we got a problem here. Um, uh, you're, you're, you know, you, you, if you're wink in that situation, you don't really want to have a long discussion about what went wrong with the 2021 Ravens defense. You, you want to be able to say DoorDash corners and, you know, have some chuckles and move on to the next question. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think he was probably just joking, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some animosity, like you said, nobody likes getting fired or let, um, what, what, what do they call it? Mutually, mutually, like a, mutually, walk, mutually, mutually walking away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially fired. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I think I, I, I'm not sure it was a fire in the case of Wink. And I don't want to go over this for too long down this rabbit hole. But I think it was a case of they didn't want to mm-hmm. extend him. And Wink didn't want to play yeah. on extend. No, I think you're right. Didn't want to coach on extend. Yeah. Uh, okay, so safety, um, Geno Stone, the defensive player of the yeah. game, probably deserves some discussion here just, just because of what he did. Yeah, I, um, I've always liked Geno Stone. I think he's someone who has a knack for being around the ball. Um, not the most athletic guy, but I feel like he's as he's kind of been on the field more, he's grown into maybe some 
if not he if not his athleticism improving, he seems more confident and and faster on the field. Like he's just processing quicker, and I, f- I feel like he really you know is a, turning into a playmaker and and someone that if if needs to if you need to have him as a starter, I think he's someone who can fill in for you, um, and he's someone that I mean I don't know if the Ravens would consider trading him. But they have a lot of depth. I don't. I don't think they would want to. But he's someone that a lot of teams I think could use on on their roster, and I yeah. think he's a valuable asset to the Ravens. So I wouldn't trade him. But he's someone that is is probably better than some corner or safeties that are starters for other teams. Frankly, I mean, if if it's trade him or cut Jefferson, they'll they'll just cut Jefferson and 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 probably bring Jefferson back after injury after IR uh, settles out, which I expect to happen anyway. I, you know, my big bold prediction for this year is. Jefferson will do two things. He'll be, he'll be cut on cutdown day, and then he'll walk out to the middle of the field as a special teams captain for the first <laughs> game. Both things, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, they have other guys that they have obvious handshake deals with, but he's probably the most obvious of them all in terms of, of uh, what he can do. Uh, I loved what Stone did in this game. Obviously, he, he made plays in a number of different ways. He, he streaked in, uh, showed that great range to come in, and, and was much too quick. I think it was for Petty Frere was out again in space. Uh, trying to get a hand on him, and and you know he just launched by him to take down the uh, uh, runner for minus four. Uh, he had um, a multitude of things, obviously that, that that he did positive in this game. He had tight coverage in the end zone twice, and the and the on the end. Uh, no, I'm sorry, just tight coverage on the end zone once with 21 seconds to go. But then with 15 seconds to go, he delivered the right. quarterback hit on the on the incomplete to end the game. So that was great. Uh, took that cannon for that loss of four. Gambled on the undercut. I think that's a really underrated play. So they, they threw a little little flat pass out to um, Briley Moore again, the the, the hothead, and uh, he went for the undercut. It's pure Marcus Peters, by the way. Two guys behind him. He was aware of that. Stone was very aware of that, and he tried to undercut the ball. It didn't get it this time, but it doesn't have to be right that often. I mean, that ended up being a a three plus three play. So three yak is what they potentially lost for him not going directly for the body on that play. I think that's a fair judgment of that. And if the opportunity is a pick six going the other direction, you only have to be right about that about, what, maybe 3% of the time to make it be the right call. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of intelligent player that he is. You know, he, he understands the situation. Mm-hmm. He sees the play developing in front of him. He knows, you know, who his defense is around him. And he says, I have a chance at this. And he almost got it. I thought for a second that he did have it um, because it was really a bang-bang play. Um, I, I don't think he even touched the ball. He didn't get his hands on it like Williams did, but he was right there. Um, and that just goes to show, you know, the instincts that, that he has, you know, the um, kind of that, I mean, he's not, I never thought of him as a gambler type player on the field. He's more of the kind of player who wants to be in the right area, but that would, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can take that his play to the next level and kind of use, you know, some of his knowledge and his ability to read film and tendencies to, to make some plays like that, that, that can be an interesting aspect. Well, one of the things I always discuss with guests is soft pedaling, contradicting each other. This is a case where I, I kind of see it the other way. I mean, I, I, Stone, to me, is a great gambler. He's a great um, over-bracket player, as opposed to a lot of the safeties we've had. Deshaun Elliott comes to mind, but Jefferson in, you know, has a lot of these characteristics that they immediately are like a guided missile to the midsection to try and disrupt the ball, but he's a place for the overthrow guy. That's a gambling characteristic. He also, last year, he undercut 
and uh, yeah, undercut and got an overthrow in the same game for interceptions, which is which is one of those things that would tell me that's the gambling instinct there that I that I love. And I think we saw it in this game because he he went for the undercut, didn't get it, but then he did a marvelous job of collecting the uh, the, the difficult loose change. You know, it wasn't an easy thing. He had to actually knock the receiver out of the way to tip it back to himself and then collect it on his body before it hit the ground. Yeah, but like you said, he he was someone who made a difference on on that on this defense in the second half and he was all over the field making plays against the run against the pass rushing the passer on the back end he had a nice pass breakup in the end zone on, on a deep ball um to the their number one pick i think that ball was intended for Traylon burks who was um you yep. know i think was he like 18th overall 21st overall something like that he was a pretty high draft pick um and you know stone had no issue going up and knocking that ball away um uh, against a big big receiver um and he was really the only defender he was there to make a play on it so um that's that's an impressive play and and he just flashed i think constantly you know whenever he was in the on the screen he was he was make he was impacting the the, the game and that's something that um you, you definitely want to see and as someone you definitely want on your roster yeah and you know you mentioned i think earlier maybe it's in the production meeting that he was probably the best player on the field of the second half and i would completely agree i mean the ravens had some other good defenders that were adding something but but he was the best player on the field and it's 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 unusual that you have that kind of difference because whoever is playing at that point is generally in the same group of players who's really fighting for the fringe of the roster. Stone's got it made. He's not in any jeopardy in terms of his roster spot. Uh, he's a, uh, a third-year player, which there are other third-year players playing, just none of them were nearly as good as Stone in terms of, 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 of who's on the field. Just a, a really fine defensive effort it was the it was the, he was the decisive player in this game he was the the, the guy that made the the biggest difference uh if we want to talk about one other safety you probably ought to talk about uh hamilton yeah yeah let's, let's talk uh, about hamilton really quickly um kind of a little bit of a mixed bag you know you mentioned that kind of same thing with with hayes earlier uh, i think same kind of performance from hamilton his first you know nfl game i have to mention that obviously um you know, he showed some of those traits that that you look for in in your you know first round pick. Um, There's a couple of plays where, um, you know, he he got in there, recovered the fumble um, early on. You know, he had no issue diving mm-hmm. in the pile and get it coming out of the ball. Um, he was in there on a, on a run stop inside the ten. That was impressive, um, making sure that the carrier the ball carrier didn't get up and and bounce off a tackle. Um, there was one play also when uh willis was scrambling trying to you know extend a play and he, and he was playing 30 yards off the line of scrimmage in the end zone yep. and he made a beeline to cut off cut off willis and make sure he angled had to angle for the sideline because there was if you look at the the all 22 um there was actually some good blocking there was pretty much a hat on a hat for all the ravens defenders in the area and willis could have potentially you know picked up a, a large larger chunk of ground but Hamilton, he, he got there in a hurry, and he took an angle and, and allowed Jefferson to get off his block and help usher him out of bounds. So those are some really impressive plays I saw from him. There was another play where I think he, um, on that sack that uh, that Jones had, um, he was kind of doing a, a, a switch with the other safety. I think it was Stone who was bailing, and, and Hamilton came in and cut off the the hot route on the, on the slot receiver, um, and that made uh, Willis kind of bail out of the pocket, and that ended up being that that sack so there was some really impressive plays from him um obviously the missed tackle on willis um, that led to the touchdown not great i think he missed a couple other tackles in there as well so there's some ups and downs but overall i think he can be a really important playmaker if 
this is another case where I'm going to go back to kind of the urban thing and talk about what did we want to get out of Hamilton from this game. And, and I think we saw two things that I really, really liked. And one of them, I'm kind of choosing to believe that my example is the right way, but you're, the, the example of losing back, backside contain is, is a, is a counterexample too. So let me talk about that first. And that is playing with his teammates. He's extremely good at knowing where to fill and, you know, the rotation of coverage would certainly be something. Being a robber has, has certain value. You've got to have an understanding of the game to do it and, and, and get to the right place. Um, the player mentioning inside the four-yard line, he filled off Broderick Washington's penetration. And, and that was just an outstanding play by both him. I think Harrison was yeah. the other guy on that play who, who also filled, and, and they took him down together. Um, great play by both of them. That's really understanding how to exploit space and really work with your teammates to, to uh, uh, jam up a play. So Washington, um, Broderick Washington's penetration did not go to waste because of the good you know, spatial awareness of those guys. You mentioned the, the, the long-distance play. What that tells me is, and, and obviously he had a couple of these, um, the, the, the fumble recovery was certainly one because it was from long distance that he did that. And the play, you mentioned that Jefferson made the tackle on the right sideline of Willis. Um, both cases where his awareness and instincts give him a much faster play speed than his actual speed. So we came into this year, 4740. Oh my, oh my God, how's this guy going to ever cover on the back end? Well, the first preseason game, we see two plays where he's unbelievable in terms of the amount of ground he can cover because of his awareness and instincts. And that's what you want from your free safety. And I can tell you, by the end, Ed Reed wasn't all that fast a guy. Yeah. You, whenever he was returning the ball, you know, you're, you're seeing him in always third gear, kind of like Lamar Jackson, setting up blocks in his case and, and getting people to miss as well, but not super fast, you know, not, not, uh, not at the top end of speed anymore. Uh, the, the one time where he did not play with his teammates well, was losing contain on Willis on the back end. He's got to do a better job of, of getting that. Hopefully, um, uh, he does that. But what I saw from Hamilton this game, uh, very positive. It would have been hard for me to really give him a grade that would have increased my expectations of him the season. I still did, uh, despite the missed tackles. I thought that, that he did enough in this game to overcome some of the significant objections about who he was as a player that uh, we're, in a better, we're in a better spot for it. Yeah, and, and this is like we talked about earlier, a very vanilla role for him. And he's going to be used in a lot of different ways, I think, in, in this defense. And I, I think, you know, as more is given to him, I'm hoping that he can take it and keep asking for more and having a bigger and bigger role in the defense. Um, and I, I'm intrigued to see how, how McDonald's going to use him. But he definitely has the instincts. I think he's going to be a playmaker. And this first game was, was kind of just a snapshot of what he can do, uh, given the opportunity. We get to the end of this, and, and I got to ask you. You know, does you know? First of all, before I ask you, gonna gonna talk about one more thing. Special teams. There there was a, a couple of things that happened on special teams, but the, the main one I want to note is that I kind of expected Tony Jefferson to be the personal protector on punts, and this could go in the offense, could go in the defense, but because these plays are defenders, I thought this is interesting. They had Stone in as the personal protector on punts, but if you look at the wings, they had both Hamilton and Jefferson on the wings of punt teams. If they find the right gunners and they have Jordan Stout kicking the ball, that is going to be an unbelievable coverage unit if they keep Hamilton in that role. I mean, that's just it's overkill in terms of quality of the punt team. Yeah, I mean, that could be a really interesting um, advantage that the Ravens will have in that area. 
personally, I would not have Hamilton out there on special teams, especially in, in those plays. There's too many opportunities for collisions, for someone getting blindsided, um, a weird cut in, on a very high-speed play, and it, I, I don't think it's worth it. Um, I'd rather keep him off special teams if we could. could. Um, but he definitely offers you some, some ability in that, if, if that's something that they choose to do. The other special teams thing, not sure if you noticed it, but this was something that's very apparent at the game. Jordan Stout was doing kickoffs. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw that. He has two different approaches, and I've never seen that before from a kicker. Because kickers, okay, what does your typical kicker do on a kickoff? First of all, he's yeah. five yards or more behind the line where the, where the ball is spotted. And he kicks off. And he has a kind of a running start. You get the best possible kick, you know, leg velocity out of that and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, distance, certainly, in terms of your kick. Uh, but he didn't do that after the – I think he did that one time. And then his other times he lined up as a three-by-two kicker. You know, he's basically yep. taking three steps back, two steps kicker. left. He's three yeah. yards behind. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was really interesting. And, and I think he was trying to do kind of like a hang time type kick where you, mm-hmm. you get a little bit more under it. You don't put as much power behind it. And you, you get your, your coverage unit down there and try to pin the team. I mean, and it's something Justin Tucker has... I mean, Justin Tucker's a master at doing different types of kicks with the spins and everything and trying to mm-hmm. pin it in the corner. He had a couple last year that were almost perfect that one of them like just barely went out of bounds. I was really annoyed by because the guy was smart and put his foot out of bounds when he touched the ball. Yep. Um, but... If Stout can like pick up those kind of things, um, you know he and he obviously has some skill when in terms in terms of like manipulating the ball um, and ability to place punts in a specific location and um, and he's learning from the best with between Tucker and and Coke who's still around. Uh, it's going it's going to be interesting to watch him and I think you know they might be in a better shape than they have been in special teams if he if he can handle the the you know the receiving the and holding for the field goals um as well as as cox done um, i think that's going to be um, a really fun unit to watch over the course of the season yeah i i agree i think i think the potential is there he had one really bad shank punt in this game uh didn't really show the in 10 mm-hmm. proclivity proclivity that it came from college but hopefully that uh, that gets turned around he makes some better kicks and uh and uh it's, he's He's definitely an interesting guy to watch, and, and maybe most importantly, as you said, there, there, there weren't any mishaps yesterday in terms of the field goal attempts, in terms of any of the holds, uh, even on um, extra points as well. All right, outstanding. Uh, you know, as much as a lot of people, as a season ticket holder, I certainly hate preseason football. As an analyst, I hate night football just because of the way it messes yeah. up my schedule in terms of, of making making things more difficult to, to get to the uh, website and whatnot. Uh, but as a, as a fan and as an analyst, I love preseason football and you know seeing the roster get get sifted through and 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 seeing all these other players that uh, you don't really know anything about. Uh, get a chance to play. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, and we can always do the prognostication and, and see how these players pr- project, whether they're going to make the roster or not. Um, and, and that's always a fun part of it, too. And then we're, all, we're always hoping for them um, to, to, you know, have long and, and fruitful NFL careers. So and hopefully most of them will be with the Ravens, but maybe maybe not all of them. There's probably some of them will end up on other rosters and, and be productive players there as well. So it's 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 fun, and I'm looking forward to watching them a couple more times before we actually get the real games. But you know, I'm going to, I'm going to watch every minute of these preseason games and enjoy it. 
Outstanding. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. Tell folks where they can talk football with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter with between Ravens, you know, getting going with the season just uh, just around the corner, and then Orioles have been watching those games. They're really exciting too. So you can you can follow me mm-hmm. on Twitter, and then also um, I mentioned the the podcast I do with with Jordan, um, uh, the Ravens Situation Room. It's it's up. We had one from covering the uh the preseason game from last night so if you're interested in in our opinions on what we saw then you can listen to that one um on the film study baltimore website all right other folks out there i'd ask you to take a look at the article online first article of the year i haven't written anything since the schedule came out but this is kind of something i do during the preseason is grade every player negative three to plus three and uh, you get a sense of uh of uh you know what i thought about the players and there's a lot of detailed notes in there that that you that we can't get to all of these when we're when we're talking on the show but uh, uh hopefully you give that a chance had an interview with daniel wilcox that posted yesterday lots of inside football that is really worth it not too intimidatingly long it's only about 30 minutes but uh planning to have him on again to talk about training camp and uh what that's like from a player's perspective that i'm really lo- loving to hear i want to hear a little bit about what goes on in the position group rooms and things like that uh in, in terms of how this goes uh other folks out there if you'd like to do a film study short hit me up with a dm on twitter love to hear from you i'll get back to you really quick gabe thanks again for coming on such a pleasure always. thanks again i'm looking forward to the next time already and talk to you next time on film study for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.